Or I guess we had a couple of drinks. He had a drink because he's not a lush. He's a consummate professional. <laughs> and we are painfully awkward. <laughs> Please, can we buy you another drink? Live from the Mundangerous Will Call Line in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 108 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're catching up on all the news and happenings from Gen Con 2017. And later, the silent night delights in the darkness in the Character Creation Forge. Yeah, we are back from Gen Con and exhausted. I'm so tired. And also out of time <laughs> to record this episode and turn it around for next week. But we waited for you so that we could deliver a full report. Also, we were planning to record at Gen Con, but there was absolutely no time yeah, to do that. Absolutely got waylaid by fun and games. Uh, so if this episode is a little bit looser than usual, that's why. It's because we're a little bit more loopy than usual. Right. And uh, also, we are skipping the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign this week. Because it's terrible. Also, we have a lot of Gen Con announcements and pre-Gen Con news to get through, so we just figured we'll put that off for one more week. Yeah, we got a lot to say, and maybe you don't follow us all on Twitter, and so you don't know it. So, here we go. So, first things first, uh, pre-Gen Con announcements. We got, uh, I think a couple weeks ago, Fantasy Flight announced the Genesis system, which is taking the story dice system from their Star Wars game, like Edge of the Empire, and genericizing it so it can be plugged into their own IPs. Yeah, I've been hearing multiple people uh, say, oh, right, the generic Fantasy Flight game that's coming, but no one really knows it's called Genesis. Yeah. yeah. And actually, it was like the second person who mentioned it, and I was like, oh, yeah, that. And then someone else was like, yeah, yeah, Genesis. Yeah, it's like, oh, oh okay, we'll generic do... Genesis, gotcha. Right, yeah. Uh, Edge of the Empire, you know, but without the Star Wars, that one. So what I was trying to hack together to play Firefly. Right. So now I don't have to do that. <laughs> exactly. Please come out quickly. Um, I think what will definitely come out quickly now is an L5R RPG using that system. Yeah, that was all over the dealer hall. Yeah, you could not shake a stick without hitting L5R or somebody carrying an L5R box set. Or someone talking about it and complaining about how the old canon was getting destroyed just like star wars but also very hopeful that it was still going to live on right oh you talked to jim mcclure that happened <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh jim is our foremost expert on legends of the five rings and he was kind of alternately heartbroken and also hopeful for uh the future under fantasy flight but the uh, living card game that they released uh sold like gangbusters they were always out of tickets every day and the uh the lines at fantasy flight were unmanageable like they they had their own booth for storing the line of people trying to get into their big booth so it seems obvious this is a test balloon for you know another version of the rpg right so we cannot imagine that's not happening yep uh, then a little bit later, we got an announcement from Ulysses Games uh, UK, which is that they picked up the Warhammer 40k license for RPGs, and that they were releasing a new game called Wrath and Glory. Yeah, Ulysses is the same company that is res responsible for the Dark Eye, which is, I believe, the most popular RPG in Germany. I don't know anything about it, but I did run into a guy on my plane from Germany. Oh. 
who said that they have a really good reputation. Uh, the Dark Eye, like lots of people play it. Um, he's heard good things about it and that if they're in charge of the IP, he would be hopeful. Well, you should also be hopeful because the guy in charge of designing the game is Ross Watson, who designed Rogue Trader and Death Watch for Fantasy Flight. And, and maybe Black Library or Black Industries, whatever the predecessor. But either way, the original designer of Rogue Trader, which is the good one. So the guy who would have been our first choice to create the second edition of Rogue Trader, which we had been waiting for for like two years. Correct. And then found out was never going to come. Right. Okay. So we yeah. might still get that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the other feedback that I've read from the, the different threads online is that the production value will be comparable um that they do a really good job with their uh layout and their art and all those sorts of things yeah apparently dark eye books are really beautiful yeah so we'll we'll get a similar uh quality in that regard we did hear it's probably going to be a dice pool system neither of us is particularly fond of those i think it it sort of seems you know okay you roll a bunch of dice and now you start counting Mm because you can't just read a number however i've heard speculation that that they chose that mechanic because it might be a way that you can potentially balance all the different power levels that you want to deal with ideally in 40k and inquisitor who's really a glorified human uh sororitas in power armor a freaking space marine right yeah xeno species and that right sort exactly of. so you might potentially be able to have them all in the same party rather than buying you know nine different rpgs that are kind of compatible but but not really compatible Yeah, so the impression I get is that they're releasing a core book and then they'll break out the different types of games, Mm -hmm. so like the Rogue Trader, Death Watch, Dark Heresy, as expansions. So hopefully, if they're all based on the same sort of core game, they will be compatible. Right. But fingers crossed. Um, But Grimdark Podcast, who is my go-to source for 40K information, given that they both worked for Games Workshop at one point, uh, suggested that it would be d6 based in order to appeal to the tabletop crowd because warhammer tabletop is already based on rolling d6s so they've already got cool looking d6s Uh, yeah and (laughs) and they have lots of them right and that's sort of an iconic part of the game um i i will say and an easy thing about that is that you're just looking for a certain number and counting um you're not totaling d6s right so that's a a little bit better for a dice pool no maybe that's like a good way to rein in power creep i suppose yeah or I, i guess you're not working within the bounds of 100% on percentile dice, right? right? You can, if you really wanted, you get a 30 dice in your dice pool. Yeah, if you really wanted to play Exalted. <laughs> <laughs> and who doesn't? Right. Leading up to Gen Con, actually on the Wednesday of Gen Con, because Gen Con now basically starts on Wednesday, even if they don't start checking badges until Thursday, uh, Fantasy Flight announced Star Wars 30th Anniversary Edition. What, more movies? Uh, no, more role-playing games. Mm, not really more. Okay, a re-release of the original West End game system. More books. Yes, more books. <laughs> so you play the original West End games, right? Yes, but not as much as many other people. Actually, many people, when they play Star Wars, still play the West End version because mm-hmm. I think among a certain subset of Star Wars role players it's considered the definitive version. Right. It is not my favorite version because it was just Jedi win. Right. Which I don't know, I guess that is more canonically pure. Well, if you strip it down to just the core books though, is 
is it still Jedi win or was that sort of the long running power creep of the uh, system? I, I never only played with one book. Yeah. So I'm not that old. <laughs> yes, I am. Uh, we did get to hang out with Tim Cox who produced it. Had a couple drinks with him, or I guess we had a couple drinks. He had a drink. Yeah. Because he's, he's a not consummate a professional. <laughs> <laughs> And we are painfully awkward. <laughs> Please, can we buy you another drink? Uh, I made the offhand remark that that must have been an easy book to produce. And uh, he let us in a little bit behind the curtain. Uh, apparently, no one has the original printing plates for the books. So to reprint it, they actually had to go through, like, retype everything, relay it all out, get the art, um, and, and basically recreate the book minus the design elements. But apparently a lot of work had to go into re-releasing these books. So it's kind of a labor of love. Yeah, if you're a graphic designer or know someone who is, ask them how much work it would be to recreate a book from sight. From Yeah, from a copy <laughs> of the book. I mean, I wonder what they did for art. I, I wonder if they just took high-quality scans of a printed copy or what. But... Or they may have just recreated it from scratch. That's also possible. Oh, that does sound like a very Fantasy Flight thing. Mm -hmm. Bring it into the... Yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting. I, I'm probably a mark for this, so I'll, I'll probably end up pre-ordering it. Yeah, you're lucky they didn't have it on site. Oh, if it was on site, that definitely would have been in my suitcase. All right, so that was all the stuff that happened before Gen Con. This was the 50th anniversary, and there were commensurate crowds, record crowds, actually. How many people? Uh, 60,000 badges sold, which, which was a sellout. Sold out. Yeah, yeah. You, this is the only year I've ever been or even heard of where you could not get a badge the day of. Yeah, there were signs on the convention center, like on the doors of the outside doors of the convention center on Wednesday. Yeah. Saying, don't even try, yeah, essentially. No, just, just don't. Yeah. Um, but... I will say it was also the least crowded Gen Con I have attended, and, and only my third, fair enough. But still, for having record crowds, it did not feel crowded. Yeah, we had an 11 o'clock panel, uh, picked up our badges, went to the panel, looked at our watches and said, oh, maybe we should go get our tickets. 15 minutes later, we were back at the panel, tickets in hand. Right. Uh, which, if you've ever seen the Gen Con will call line, at times it stretches down the length of the uh, convention center and then wraps around the outside of the building, uh, especially Thursday and then Saturday are the two days where like most people come in, and it is insane. This year, no line. I mean, 10 minutes, no problem. It was like they were more able to distribute will call packets than people were willing to get up to the counter yeah there were people waiting to hand out tickets who didn't have anyone to hand them out to yeah so if you're considering volunteering for gen con in the future maybe handing out tickets is probably a, a cushy job yeah maybe <laughs> <laughs> um and i think that's basically because they weren't selling tickets on site so they mm -hmm. had just more people available to help with will call and that kept things very short which is which is awesome um, and then they also spread out a lot more. I know they did a lot more in Lucas Oil Stadium. They put Contessa mm -hmm. over there. Um, uh, True Dungeon was there as usual. Um, and Mayfair had all of their games, which is a a ton of tournaments and stuff over in Lucas Oil, as well as there was like a Gen Con museum, like looking back on 50 years of Gen Con. Yeah. I heard many people liked it a lot. Yeah. I, we didn't make it over there, unfortunately. But lest you think that 
all of the lines were very quick at Gen Con. Don't you worry. No. There were definitely crazy lines. Yeah, so Fantasy Flight always had a line that seemed like it was an hour long. That's just like, they. I think they buy extra booth space. And then they just can just make it a line. line with like, you know, the stands at like airports. Yeah. Sort of form everyone into a curving line. Right. Um, and then the Starfinder line was nuts, which, of course, Starfinder sold out the first day. But even after that, there were people standing in the area where Starfinder had been, I think, just sort of hoping. <laughs> Those lonely, lonely people just wanted to go to space. <laughs> uh, yeah, so so Paizo's sci-fi adaptation of Pathfinder is called Starfinder, and that was definitely a big buzz. I mean, there were still easily 200 tables of people playing uh, Pathfinder Society. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that room and the the Wizards D&D Adventures League room were both gigantic and quite crowded. Uh, as we said before, the L5R card game, people were salivating over it and were willing to put up with long lines. Yeah, and in terms of the other games that were sort of the highlights of the convention, I noticed a lot of people... Um, seeking out clink in space apparently there was a mad rush on their booth uh at the very beginning when it first opened and it was just chaos oh because it basically just released right then yeah and they they announced it like a couple days before gen con they built up a huge buzz for it Mm -hmm. and then had no crowd management so like they got flooded yeah we heard there were actually people just sort of grabbing copies and walking away without actually paying and there was no one in the booth like who was able to pay attention to all of that and grab those people because they were so busy trying to like restock which is awful so don't do that um sonar also got released which is a target exclusive game but we talked about it a little bit last year Mm -hmm, because Uh, it was captain sonar right required eight people right uh and it was like a real-time submarine combat game that you played 4v4 Mm -hmm. now i think it's just two on two two on two and turn-based so you can actually think a little more strategically Ah. yeah i know (laughs) that's even the point i i mean it, it will be a very different game but i think the theme was was really well received last year mm-hmm. um and so that also being a target exclusive means it's the type of game that you can um put on your list from your parents or uh you know you can easily find so that should be um, hitting a lot of gaming tables relatively soon i would imagine right rather than just another copy of apples to apples right um, and then the last game we heard a lot about, but I never actually saw in in play, was uh, Rhino Hero Super Battle, which is basically like a card stacking game. Uh, you build a big tower, and when it eventually falls, you hope that your character is standing on the top of it. I don't know, man. Games like that they give me heart palpitations, like watching figure skating. Okay. Can't handle it. Too nerve-wracking. All right, man. Do you have weird sports takes? <laughs> oh, there's sports. Then I hate them. I mean, figure skating is sports. <laughs> it's not sports. Okay. Well, don't tell the figure skaters. <laughs> I can't believe I'm taking the <laughs> sports side of figure skating. <laughs> it's not objective. It's not a sport. Uh, anyway, yeah. So that one, I think, will probably have a lot of post-gen con buzz. That one feels like it might have been uh, very much a con game, though. Like, I, I don't think card stacking is going to be taking over the gaming world the way that, say, like legacy mechanics took over for the past few years it's just there's a limited shelf life for dexterity games i feel like yeah and you know most gamers dump decks <laughs> right so we did get to experience even more games than we were able to play because we could swap stories with our housemates 
because rather than staying in one of the hotels, the exorbitant hotels, the extremely difficult to find hotels that we couldn't have gotten to into anyway because we didn't win the housing lottery. Right. The literal housing lottery. Yes, the actual Gen Con housing lottery. <laughs> we stayed in an Airbnb with eight other guys. Yeah, 10 grown men in a house with one bathroom. What could go wrong? Didn't realize that till we walked in. Right. It was, I assume, like a frat house. Uh, Yeah, sort of. <laughs> I mean, there was a lot of alcohol around. <laughs> yeah. Maybe like a frat house at Georgia Tech. I'm, I have no frame of reference for either of those things. Perfect. So who, who were our roommates that we swapped these stories with? Our wonderful, quiet, clean roommates. Uh, the house was put together uh, by Rich Howard from the Whelmed podcast, The Young Justice Files. Uh, and also Neil Powell was there, the producer on that show, and uh, from Dungeon Master's Block. Rich brought his best friend, Steve. They grew up together in Kentucky. Steve lives out in Hawaii, and he is a consummate gamer. And then uh, we had some guys from the Don't Split the Podcast Network, uh, hosts James Intracasso and Rudy Basso, uh, Rudy's little brother Alex, and then Vegas Lancaster, who are on a, a handful of shows across their network. And then Josh McElwain, who covers board games for Polygon, uh, was our 10th was our member. Everyone was surprisingly friendly about speeding their way through the bathroom every morning. So thanks, <laughs> yeah, guys. Yeah, it's like half the group split <laughs> showers at night, the other half showers in the morning, and somehow we all made it out without too many headaches. There wasn't even a chore wheel. Right. <laughs> so Wednesday, we got in at different times, got into our house, and then uh, we circled up with the RPG Academy. Uh, they hosted a meetup on Wednesday night and played a few games there. Yeah, when I walked in, you were all in the middle of playing Almost Got Him. Can you talk a bit about that? Because it basically, from my perspective, looked like poker with like a Batman-themed card deck. Yeah, so it's based on the episode of the Batman the Animated Series where all of the villains, the whole rogues gallery, are sitting around playing a poker game and talking about the time they almost got Batman. So that is such a good episode. Did the game capture the aesthetic of that episode? Uh, no, oh. not even a little bit. So the, the it's a hidden role game, right? So the idea is that Batman has infiltrated the poker game as one of the villains and uh, is trying to subdue each of them without being caught. Um, don't bend your head too hard around that one. Uh, but to do this, you have to make poker hands, which activate your special abilities of your hidden role so that you can... Um, I don't know, do things in a werewolf-like fashion, right? So it's kind of a werewolf clone, but you trigger your abilities by making poker hands that you're basically drawing and discarding cards like uh, in a rummy-style deck. Um, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> the gameplay is like too f weighted in favor of Batman unless everybody knows what every single role uh, needs like what poker hand they have to draw into and then on top of that is also counting cards that everybody draws in every set that they had available to them it is an insane amount of like meta knowledge that you need to keep track of in order to make the strategy of the game even remotely meaningful and it's just not worth the effort like the game is bad on top of that, the typography is also bad because oh, yeah. it's, it's very di difficult. You know, you have eight people around a table. It's very difficult to 
be able to clearly see the numbers on the cards in the center of the table. Yeah, instead of just being like playing cards, they're stylized Batman playing cards using, I think, the original font or, or some take on the original font right, from the which series. Which looks cool as like a title card, but right. if you're trying to distinguish, is it a nine or a Q for queen? It's very complicated. Yeah, it, it's a very tall font and mm-hmm. it's very skinny and it just, it's everything about that game is frustrating is how i would describe it yeah it came down to counting the symbols right that must be a six right except that there were extra symbols on there Uh, to to indicate all right so enough about that how about a game that was actually a lot of fun so we got a chance to play marvel legendary again which is a game that i basically only play at gen con because of the hour and a half setup and and the commitment required to buy all of the sets and organize them and keep them and everything but Fortunately, Michael Ross from the RPG Academy brings it with him. Yes, so we got a chance to play uh, Marvel Legendary. Um, this is, I think, basically all of our first times. I had played it once before, um, and and you guys hadn't played it at all, but we got some help from people who knew how to play the game and mm-hmm. set it up for us, so that was helpful, and we won, which is cool. Yeah, it's a co- mostly cooperative deck-building game right? where you are trying to stop uh, a series of marvel villains from capturing bystanders and wreaking havoc on the city and then there's also one main villain in this case uh we had loki right uh, who you've got to defeat a number of times before their uh, evil scheme comes to fruition right and so so being a deck builder that means that you are playing cards from your hand in order to either complete the objectives that the team has to do which is defeating henchmen and defeating the villains or playing cards from your hand to buy and recruit new cards to your deck which you then you know as you play through your deck you then reshuffle them all together and your deck gradually improves over multiple rounds of the game yeah after about like four rounds i think it it bursts wide open right where you're like i can't do anything i can't do anything i can't do anything oh i defeat them right (laughs) and if you it seems like you either hit that point early enough to win or you hit that point a little too late and there's no way you can win Mm -hmm. so it's just it's a matter of getting to the right point early enough in the game or else the momentum of the villain defeats you right i think it was a great deck builder for people who hadn't played before because since it is cooperative you actually want to be giving advice to each other and you actually want sort of want to we just play sort of with our hands out a lot of the time Mm -hmm. in front of each other being like well okay no i'll be able to defeat them when i go so you can do something else or vice versa right right then we had a good time hung out with the house yeah we we got to know everyone last minute run to the liquor store as they closed yeah so the, the, the guy at the counter was super thrilled with us i think we all pulled out our phones and said when do liquor stores close in Indiana? Yeah. <laughs> 10 p.m. So then Thursday, bright and early, we got our badges and headed to the Monty Cook Games panel where they announced uh, a bunch of stuff that they've got in flight, but most importantly, most breaking, Numenera 2. Right. It's not Numenera 2nd Edition. Right, because 2nd Edition is a dark stain upon your soul. Mm-hmm. It's not Numenera 2.0. It is simply Numenera 2 Although, honestly, it's more like Numenera 1.5. Yeah, so it is now two core books rather than the original core book. They're called Discovery and Destiny, and the Discovery book is basically a wholesale replacement for the existing core book for Numenera. Right, the old one is getting discontinued. Not yet. It won't happen until early next year. Right, Um, and it will sort of integrate some of the 
it will keep the base system the same and update some of the player options, sort of bringing the rogue and fighter uh, the, archetype. Uh, Jack and the glaive. Right. Bring them more into line with the wizard, the mm-hmm. nano. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's a 1.5 kind of edition. So expect that eventually all of your books will end up replaced or just moved past. They all kept pressing the point that if you want to keep using your old books that's perfectly fine because the vast majority of the material will be compatible it just means that if you have a glaive for example that's using only material out of that first book or the first book and the character options books that came afterward they'll probably be a little bit weaker than someone who only builds with discovery so that's fine and you know maybe you don't want to buy discovery at all but it does come in a box set with destiny Right. And so the the pitch for Numenera originally, according to Monty Cook, was that you were living in sort of a broken world and you would um, delve into the ruins of a past civilization to uncover things to help make the current civilization better, to help make the world a better place. And so he said the Discovery book and the original, the current Numenera line really do that part of it very well, the, the delve into the past. What it doesn't do very well is how do you use that technology to build a better future? And so that was the pitch for the Destiny book is basically settlement and base building, Mm -hmm. you know, mechanics for making your mark on the world, you know, building a community and and dealing with the threats and um, challenges that come with governing, right? Um, Giving you a place to take all of your spoils of your Numenera adventures and actually build something to leave a mark on the ninth world. Yeah, rather than only using an artifact you found to increase your personal power and the numbers on your sheet, you can, you know, use it to make a shield for the town that you founded. Obviously, we always love base building, world building, you know, stronghold type options. But I I really did like the pitch where, you know, this Numenera takes place literally a billion years in the future of Earth, where there have been eight great civilizations that, you know, mastered time and space and nanotechnology and magic and all that and have fallen apart for whatever reason, but the, their detritus is littered around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so now you're in the ninth world, which is almost futile in a lot of ways. Uh, but the point of destiny is to allow you to find ways to make the ninth world worthy of the moniker right worthy of being uh, another civilization on par with these previous eight Mm -hmm. so that sounds very cool but neither of us currently own any numenera books so we'd be starting fresh yeah and that actually probably makes me more inclined to be interested in the game like this seems like a great jumping on point um i i think there was a lukewarm reaction in the room when it was announced um I think a lot of people are worried about their collections being invalidated, right? Yeah, because there are a fair number of books. Right. And they did say that, you know, they're going to pull in some of the character options stuff and some of that might actually be less applicable now. Yeah. So after that, we walked around the dealer floor. We actually spent less time on the dealer floor this year than we have in previous years. Yeah, and a big part of that is just that RPG publishers are continually getting pushed into smaller and smaller spaces uh board games are definitely dominant on the dealer floor though probably not on the game table so 
you know, it's kind of a split con in that regard. Yeah, the magic card sellers and resellers were still taking up just as much space. Yeah. But Colonel Luzaki, who makes Game Science Dice, was in a space, I think, like a half or a third that he was last year. Right. Fantasy Flight was just as big, though. Yeah, Fantasy Flight was gigantic. Uh, and almost as gigantic was Catan, um, who had the demo version of Game of Thrones, which was announced uh, the Brotherhood of the Watch. Um which is it looked interesting. We they were playing a gigantic size floor model of it. Oh, it is, um, is it not? Is it not always that size? No, I think it's going to fit in no, a box. Sure. Uh, though it was interesting that uh, one of the one of the guys in the booth was mentioning like the crowd demand had been so large in the morning that by the time we got there at two o'clock, they were taking pre-orders. Like they had so many people wanting to pre-order the game and throw their money at, at them that they finally had to say, "Okay, we will take your money." <laughs> Which seems crazy to me that they didn't know that going into Gen Con, but I'm glad they got it sorted out. I mean, it's good that the thing we keep seeing over and over again with retailers who show up at Gen Con is we didn't expect this kind of demand. Well, yeah. Certainly better than nobody wants to buy anything. I I mean, I'm sure there there are also the Gen Con losers that we don't hear about. Or yeah, because we walked right by them. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately for them. Um, so then at dinner that day, uh, we ended up catching up with our friends at Board Game Replay uh, YouTube channel. Uh, we played World Championship Russian Roulette, which is sort of a um, a bluffing game based on uh, playing Russian Roulette. So a little bit of a strange premise. But a great, fun, quick game. Yeah, relatively quick. We played it over dinner uh, without interrupting our meal too much. So that was cool. And then Thursday night, we were at the Don't Split the Podcast panel with James and Jocasso, uh, the Basso Brothers, and Vegas Lancaster. And they were joined by two members of the Venture Maidens podcast. I believe I may have mentioned them once on the show before. Uh, Celeste Conowich and Brittany Quintero, their uh, 5e actual play. And they had a big announcement. Yeah, uh, they had just gotten released from their non-disclosure agreements by Wizards of the Coast because they have been selected as one of the 10 uh, actual plays for the podcast of Annihilation. So they will very soon be playing, or they have already played Tomb of Annihilation, which is the new uh, adventure from Wizards of the Coast, and their actual play of it will be streaming. Yeah, so I think they did like uh, two 24-hour streams which is insane yeah and then uh, a lot of sort of reshuffling of the players and the gms so they hosted some people from some of the other nine shows and vice versa yep um also there and and in the meetup afterwards we got a chance to catch up with uh sean merwin from misdirected mark uh who worked on the new star trek adventures rpg he had well, obviously had kind things to say about that system though i know you remain skeptical of star trek as a game because I want it to be good. Now, I haven't looked through Star Trek Adventures yet uh, because I was too late to sign up for any games, but I am absolutely going to take a good long look at it and I will report back later because you will get it confused with Star Wars. Uh-huh. Star Wars Adventures. I can't wait. Let's go through the Stargates. Makes perfect sense. <laughs> uh, also got a chance to hang out with Chris and Michael from the Redemption podcast. Hey, guys. Uh, and we met up with uh, James Hake from Geek and Sundry and uh, one of the co-authors of the Critical Role RPG book, who is incredibly talented for somebody who has just graduated 11 from years college. Old, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. like, I am insanely jealous of that man. We don't remember much of the rest of the night. However, the next morning, 
Shane, you slept in. I yeah, I didn't make it out the next morning. <laughs> but you went to a superhero panel. Yeah, I dragged myself out. Um, it was it was an interesting panel in that the one question that they mostly couldn't answer was from the audience, which was, "What system should I use to play my superhero game?" Yeah, which is the reason I went to this panel because we have been wanting to play more superhero games and we're looking for the right system for our group. So, you know, there was someone there who was produced Mutants and Masterminds. But, you know, it was almost all nostalgia. People were like, oh, yeah, I remember Champions, and that was great. And, you know, old school Mutants and Masterminds and villains and vigilantes. And apparently you can't play a superhero game without it being, you know, alliterative. Right. So I guess, I, you know, we should just look for one of those. Yep. But, yeah, the it sort of ended with people shaking their heads and going, yeah, I just I don't really know of anything that's recent. Hmm. which has been our problem. Right. But after that. After that, we played Knights Black Agents. Which we thought would be, you know, pretty cool. Vampires and super spies. That sounds good together. Yeah, so this is a game by Kenneth Height um, it, based on the gumshoe system uh, in which you play super spies who are tasked with fighting off a vampire threat. Uh, vampires are real and they're being used by spies. Yeah, so cool premise. Turns out, super awesome game. Yeah, great game. So we played the Van Helsing Letter, which is a published adventure for the game by Gareth Ryder Hanrahan. I don't want to get into too many details of what happened in our game because I don't want to spoil it. Because um, it's, it's a really cool adventure. It's really well written. Um, so I, I can't get into the details. I will just say that we started in Belgium, we went to Germany, and then Romania, and then we ended up fighting a vampire on a plane to London. So we did some globetrotting in the full-on Jason Bourne style. And from what we've heard, uh, the way our adventure went is completely different. Com- different locales and everything than other people who've played this same adventure. Yeah, the uh, the GM said that um, every he runs it at a lot of cons and that every, no group has taken our approach yet. So that was that was interesting. That happens a lot, actually. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no one just punched him in the face. <laughs> the common, the common thread is us. <laughs> mm. uh, Rudy Basso did uh, tell us ahead of time that Knights Black Agents is his very favorite game, and that and if we didn't like it, he would not be friends with us anymore. Right. That's not the reason we like it. But he's right. Yeah. <laughs> it is a very good game. It's an amazing game. Uh, it does a great job of making you feel super competent in all the cool spy things that you should be able to do. Mm. Um, and then make you feel super human against vampires and the supernatural. Yeah, so it's a gumshoe-based game. Shane, mm. have you looked at all at at the actual Knights Black Agents game, like the the actual system? Uh, I have not, though I am a soon-to-be owner of the system. Yeah, I I took a glance at it just, you know, afterward. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were playing with, like, ones and twos in our sheet, and we felt like badasses. But apparently you get as high as eight. Like, it's there's rules. When you get to eight, then you get extra abilities. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I am now (laughs) super interested. (laughs) Yeah. And then that night, we went to the RPG Academy introduction to podcasting panel that Shane was a guest panelist for. Yeah, so we recorded the audio for that, and I think the quality is going to be good enough that we'll end up releasing it uh, probably on the RPG Academy stream, and and when that happens, we'll uh, link to it in their feed. Um, And then if not, or probably even if so, we'll end up doing a a live Twitch stream to kind of rehash some of that material. Um, 
I don't know. I felt pretty good about it. Um, it seemed like the crowd that we had was mostly engaged and I, you know, I saw a lot of nodding along and that sort of thing. So I don't know. Hopefully we did some good. Maybe we'll see some other podcasts creep out of it. I doubt that you'll see other podcasts because I was listening to it. And at the end of it, I was thinking, oh, why did I start a podcast? Oh, God, it's so much work and there's no money in it ever. And oh, God, the editing. Oh, God, the editing. Yeah, unfortunately, that was how we all let off. was like, man, I spent a lot of time editing now. That's what podcasts are. And I was like, wait a minute. But also, they're awesome. <laughs> I mean, all those things are true. Right? Yeah. There was nothing that you said that I I would have disagreed with which is probably the first time that's ever happened. Okay, great. Well, now that we're in agreement, let's move on to Saturday. Saturday was actually our busiest day because we had back-to-back games all day. Yeah, so we started in the morning with Headspace, uh, run by the writer of Headspace, Mark Richardson, which is a Powered by the Apocalypse game uh, that's basically like Sense8 meets Blade Runner. So we played an underwater reskin of the game by Emily Care Boss. I think they call those settings. Sure. Why uh, Why were we playing underwater? Uh, because we were playing with Rich Howard, mm-hmm. who played every single one of his Gen Con games underwater. Like the game took place underwater. It's, it, he wasn't doing like yeah, we a, a doing Chris Angel thing. Tank, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it, was so, it was the prestige, yeah. basically. His background is in marine biology, and he's currently writing a game called Descent into Midnight, which is uh, deep sea aquatic based. And so everyone that he tapped to run a game uh decided to honor him by putting it deep blue sea that's adorable so anyone who knows how much i talk about eclipse phase knows that i really like you know far future transhumanism yeah crazy tech uh virtual reality mind spaces and that's basically what headspace is yeah it's a it's a cool system so it's powered by the apocalypse so that's the the mathematics behind it but unlike many PBTA games, uh, the skills that you have are associated with emotions, and those are the only attributes that you have as a character, are your emotions. Right, the storyline sort of, well, so you're super spies. So similar to Knights of Black Agents, if you want to accomplish a thing, you pretty much accomplish that thing. Yeah. Um, you have capabilities that you're good at, but the premise is that you, the entire group is mind-linked um, in each, like jacked into each other's heads and can have conversations and then even share skills with each other so that one super spy secret agent is actually every one of these super spy secret agents. Mm-hmm. However, the emotion associated with the skill that you are using from someone else leaks into the feed when you are pulling over those skills. Right, and then if enough of an emotion, if the level of an emotion gets high enough in the headspace, then it explodes and causes feedback, which is generally bad. But also sometimes good. Well, also sometimes cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it causes complications. Right. Um, so it's cool. So like when you use your skills, you auto-succeed. Uh, when you use somebody else's skill, you roll uh, using your modifier for their emotion. Um, so like if, if I'm borrowing your shooting skill and your shooting is tied to ego... Uh, I might be a low ego character. I might have a minus two, but I, I still have to use ego to use your shooting. Yeah, and the the first, I would say, like half of our session was character creation because that's actually a lot of the fun of the system is deciding how we got to where we are because I'm, I'm pretty sure all of the the games of Headspace start in media res. You're in the middle of a job. 
Right. And something is going wrong. Right. And you need to establish what was the job, why were you on the job, how do you all know each other, and how do you all feel about each other? Right. And because the assumption is that you all chose to be uh, linked into a headspace. Right. It, which is like a crazy thing. So it had to be an extreme reason. Right. You you had to have some reason to all come together, right? Which means you had a background and secrets and your own motivations and, and issues that you have to deal with as a character. So our actual gameplay, once we had our, our cell set up, uh, we were raiding a military base mm-hmm. in order to prevent a signal from being uh, intercepted and uh, blocked. Uh, we were trying to like pass it on and amplify it and, and transmit it. Uh, it was like a, a distress signal. Right. So uh, 2,000 feet underwater, we are in one small dinky submersible. Okay. And it is a 200 mile an hour submersible. It is a, it is not dinky by any means. It is fast. It's a, it's a <laughs> torpedo is what it is. Against an entire military complex. Yes. Filled with essentially like the Pacific Defense Force. Right. And we had five players in our game and normally you would have six. So... Our sixth teammate is the one who uh, died in Media Res and was the reason things were going awry. Mm-hmm. His mind was hacked as he attempted to uh, override the computer defenses. I like that it's a system where the premise of the six of you are going to take on an entire military outpost wasn't crazy. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, oh, it, no, yeah, you could do that. It's like hyper-competent cyberpunks. It's great. Yeah. And then after that, we played... Directly after that. Yeah, yeah. like 10 minutes later, we jumped into a game of Masks, which was run by Angela Murray from Gnome Stew. So those of you who have listened to the uh, actual play that I played with the Whelmed podcast uh, that we linked here uh, should know the Masks system. It is also powered by the Apocalypse. It allows you to play groups of young superheroes. So, mm-hmm. you know, Teen Titans, Young Justice, things like that. And actually... actually you, the game itself was modeled by Brendan Conway of Magpie Games, who created it. it. Was modeled after wanting to be able to play the a game of the Young Justice TV series. It does it very well. You don't have hit points. Um, the enemies don't really have hit points. The game is wholly guided by the way that the team members feel about each other. So instead of taking damage, you are hurt emotionally and you mm-hmm. feel a different type of emotion that causes certain negatives. You know, you become angry. Right. Or you become hopeless. Yep. Rich didn't want to force everyone to play a game underwater, you know, because he's not that kind of guy. Right. So we weren't playing underwater until Neil Pal stepped in and sort of forced us underwater anyway. Onto a submarine. Yeah. We <laughs> teleported onto a submarine. <laughs> it was fine. Yeah. <laughs> And then directly after that, we went to the OneShot meetup. So OneShot is a podcast and also a podcast network. Yeah, it's got shows like the OneShot podcast and Campaign and uh, Never Tell Me the Pods. I think it's one of those things where if you're listening to Total Party Thrill, you also know. I don't think there's anyone who knows us and doesn't know them. Yeah, they're they're a lot bigger than us. Yeah, the opposite is not true. Right. Uh, so we went to their meetup to uh, hang out with them and then all the uh, associated personalities who are also at their meetup. Yeah, that was the main draw was everyone will be there. Right. Um, and we, we got a chance to meet up with some of our listeners who came uh, either as one shot listeners and also to meet us or to meet us and also one shot. Mm-hmm. So it was it was cool. It was a nice little synergistic thing, though. We were clearly in the minority in terms of 
content creators that people gave a shit about. <laughs> we were able to give away some swag, though, so that was nice. Yeah. We hung out with Dan Dillon from Kobold Press. Yeah, we had appeared on the Tome Show with him to discuss Volo's Guide uh, back when that was a new thing last year. Um, and, you know, had uh, interacted with him on Twitter and, and different places, but never had a chance to meet. So that was cool. Um, got a chance to talk about um, some of the stuff that's going on with uh, Cobalt Press and, and different things with 5e. So, yeah, And we got to complain about some stuff, which was nice. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's the only person as mean as us and willing to complain about things. Yeah. Everyone else there was relentlessly positive. Yeah. So it was nice to have someone more in, more in our <laughs> speed. We also met up with uh, Rich Bellina from Going Last. Yeah, he was a bit delayed getting there because he had the pleasure of running the True Dungeon, uh, which is sort of an interactive dungeon crawl experience. Escape room yeah. type thing. Uh, it, this year was um, themed around the King Killer Chronicles by uh, Patrick Rothfuss, and uh, Rich had the joy of running it with Patrick Rothfuss himself. So I kind of, you know didn't blame him for not for not showing up at the start right uh i gotta i gotta go right to meet up with well you don't know them it's a it's a podcast no one likes right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh but he was kind enough to humor us uh, so that was great uh, i had a great conversation with him he's a great guy he's been a supporter of us and uh, he was kind enough to help me um with the uh, Reckon is Racing RPG that we released for charity um, at the beginning of the year. I've now heard about Reckon is Racing uh, twice in the last week, which is really more, much more than I expected. So there you go, getting traction. Hey! Thank you, thank you. Uh, but he did tell us a little bit about what the True Dungeon theme was, or, or what the story was. So there were two dungeons, and one of them was that Bast, who's um, Quoth's companion, um, and also secretly a fae. Uh, he leads the party to a waystone, but along the way he gets bored and just abandons them, so they have to make their own way through sort of a haunted, enchanted forest. And then uh, fae queen Felurian makes the party travel through a maze in order to return to the mortal realm. Yeah, I like that one. He said uh, the very first encounter was that they all had to give a gift to her uh, of either a song or a poem or a joke. Uh, in order to pass <laughs> which is why you always have a poem in your back pocket friends right uh that one i i don't think really fits the character of Florian. uh she didn't really make a habit of letting people go but that's fine you know you had to have something that was relatable for true dungeon you also can't kidnap people at gen con and just keep them forever yeah i know i know but if anybody could it'd probably be rothfuss right <laughs> <laughs> you will stay with me now forever i am a willing captive <laughs> <laughs> Tell me stories of Acquisitions, Inc., please. <laughs> so we're in talks for maybe a collaboration with uh, Going Last and and Rich uh, at PAX Unplugged in later in November. Yeah, so uh, he and his co-host, Kenna, are both planning to be there. So we're hoping we can uh, find a panel or, or something to collaborate on so we can get together and uh, do more stuff. They're, they're great folks. And then on Sunday, we went home. Yeah, but let me just complain, okay? okay. Because the Starbucks in Terminal A, where mm -hmm. I was, mm -hmm. uh, did not have any cold brew or iced coffee remaining at 9 in the morning. That's garbage. Why even do this? There was a Starbucks in Terminal B where I was, but I didn't check. Yeah, well... Because I wanted you. to sleep. Right. 
Also, I like uh, I like that we were asked if we took separate flights to Gen Con, uh, to and from Gen Con for that matter, uh, in order to maintain the continuity of the podcast in case either one of us uh, was in a plane crash. Thanks, James Intricasso. Yeah, the answer is, of course, no, because we are not friends. Yeah. Although if one of us does die in a plane crash, um, well, I'm immediately joining a different podcast. And right. Continuing this one. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'm not working for your corpse. <laughs> Especially if I got to do all the editing myself. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. So we made it home on Sunday and uh, began the long recovery from our vacation. Still continuing. But next year, if you didn't come this year, come on out. We'll have a good time. Yeah, I mean, that is one thing that we didn't talk about enough is how many of our listeners we got a chance to uh, meet and hang out with and grab drinks with. Um, that was amazing. Um, you know, that's kind of the most rewarding part of that trip, to be honest. Yeah, it was sort of weird hearing people talk about something that I talked about and being like, wait, you listened to that? Yeah. And you remembered it? Right. Oh, you? no. Really? You? I, I can't believe it. <laughs> I should stop saying things. <laughs> So thank you for everybody who took the time to uh, hunt us down and say hello or, um, you know, hang out with us. That that was amazing. Do you hear that, Ishan? That's the sound of your plane going down, Shane. I'm sorry to say. Well, then I'm going to need to re-roll a new host. Nope. Nope. This is over. We're done. Oh, okay. Well, let's just limp on into the character creation forge. Perfect. Now. Before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. All right, we're running a little bit long, Ishan, so let's blaze through this uh, character creation forge as a beacon of hope in the darkness. Yes, shrouded in the dark. <laughs> as we are building the Silent Knight. Yeah, we've been wanting to combine Paladin and Assassin for forever, because awesome. So we did. Yeah, I also love the idea that you have this bright, shining, holy Avenger uh, that you put into its scabbard so you can sneak around. <laughs> yeah, with a, with a poison dagger. <laughs> <laughs> so the build is Assassin Rogue 8, Vengeance Paladin 12. Okay. Relatively straightforward. Yeah. So eight levels of rogue is going to get us four expertises, which we love. Uh, we get bonuses to our first round of combat. We have advantage on characters who haven't acted yet, and we also auto crit on characters who are surprised, which is a huge boost as a paladin because you can throw your smite on top of that. Huh. Get a 4d6 sneak attack. Uncanny dodge, so you're very tanky because you are also a paladin. And you get evasion, which couples so well with the saving throw bonuses you're going to get as a paladin. And then as a paladin, you'll have a ton of smites. You'll get four first level, three second level, and three third level, which I guess if you're lame, you can waste those slots on spells. Yeah. Extra attack, that saving throw bonus. You are immune to being frightened. Because you are of the dark. You are not afraid of the <laughs> I was the dark. born in the dark. <laughs> Thanks, Bane. This is this is a Bane build. Right. Yeah. <laughs> kind of is. Also kind of a Batman build. Yeah. You'll get Hunter's Mark if you do decide to use one of those spell slots. And then Vengeance Paladin gives you access to amazing spells like Hold Person, Misty Step, and Haste. Plus, you'll get an extra D6 on every attack because you're a high-level Paladin. Uh, D8. Yes, that's right. Now, 
it may seem obvious what you do here. You sneak around and then you assassinate somebody. And when you do that, you auto crit. So that is an extra 8d6 sneak attack dice, an extra 2d6 from Hunter's Mark, and an extra 10d8 on your smite, which is a lot of dice. That is a satisfying pool of dice to pick up. 10d6 and 10d8. Yeah, I'll, I'll roll that all day. <laughs> yeah. I also love that that is your first attack. Right. <laughs> because you have extra attacks. So just hit him again. You won't get the sneak again, but you can still smite again. Yes. The other option is you can, because you're, you know, high charisma, high dex. You can be standing in front of someone, you know, hiding in plain sight. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're not surprised by you. That's fine. You just hold person. Yeah. <laughs> and now they're paralyzed. Which means you auto crit. Right. Uh, you're not going to be able to use Hunter's Mark with that because that's also concentration. But you are going to be able to double the sneak attack dice, double that smite, mm-hmm. and hit him again, also critting on the second attack. Right. So you'll start out rogue because you want those sweet, sweet skills. Yeah, then you'll go to Paladin 5, which will get you your extra attack. Then Rogue 6 for... Uh, your fourth expertise. Uh, yeah, that also boosts your sneak attack. Then finish out Paladin and finish out Rogue. So you'll really feel like a sneaky Paladin right at uh, like level three once you get those first smites. Right. So Shane, who is your Silent Knight? My Silent Knight uh, took an actual vow of silence. Wait, how are you going to play a character that doesn't talk? Uh, I'm not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but somebody out there will. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I mean, that doesn't mean you can't communicate, right? It just means you can't speak it loud. I mean, you do get Thieves Cant. True. Um, but yeah, so my my character was an urchin in the street uh, who was uh, perhaps wronged by a noble that he was able to identify. Uh, he swore vengeance and then in a dream was visited by a deity um, who offered to uh, imbue him with the power necessary to exact his revenge on that evil noble uh, in exchange for a vow of silence. And thus he, uh, kind of having grown up in the streets, you know, developed that skill set and also was imbued with divine power. Uh, and until he exacts his revenge, uh, he will not utter a word aloud. He will communicate solely through thieves' cant and hastily scratched notes. I like it. I think that is a much better backstory for the Little Mermaid. Okay. Here's my voice. Now I am very murderous. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I got legs? Yeah, These whatever. These are great for sneaking around. Yeah. <laughs> How about your Silent Night? Uh, I think she's basically the Punisher. Oh, yeah, that sounds about right. She takes one of her expertises in insight. So she has this the sixth sense about who is guilty. She understands that there are people who have done wrong and need to be punished. And so she makes a beeline toward them and, and takes them out. And now, you know, she could fight her way through innocence, but that's not honorable. That's not a good thing. The people who are defending those who do wrong in the shadows, but don't know that that's what they're doing, right? So the best way to save innocent lives, to because of course the Punisher never hurts innocents, right? Right. Is completely avoid them. Okay. Right? Disappear. Walk up walls. Sneak in through, through carts or the, the servant's entrance mm-hmm. and simply appear inside the room 
inside the bedchamber late at night and exact justice. Classic wet work. Yeah, exactly. You don't need to leave nearly as quietly because I guess you can find steed and then just Let's ride your ride horse out. out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Castles are less well defended on the inside. Than they are, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, if you want to support the show, the best way to do that is to become one of our Patreon supporters. You can visit patreon.com slash totalpartythrill to get access to extra content, TPT merchandise, and some of our upcoming rewards. And I will say, I have been working diligently on that recap for the Morning Glory, and we'll have something to show for it soon. There's just a lot of work that needs to be done up front before we kind of settled into our format. We really should have made it the second reward and the codex the first reward. Yeah. The codex might actually be easier. But we are actually working on the codex now, so if at some point we do hit that $200 goal, we'll be able to get that out pretty quickly. Yeah, we'll be able to do those... At the same time, like th- those, those can run in parallel because we'll have help to do the codex. Also, uh, have you noticed that we've been doing leveling guides for uh, the forge now? Yes. <laughs> so we know how to do that when we compile them. You're welcome, everybody who asked us nicely. Mm-hmm. So if you can spare an extra $5 a month, please consider giving it to NPR because you know they're just going to keep asking until you do. Uh, But after that, your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing the show and to add on to the experience. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're continuing our series on playing non-human characters, and we're talking about how to play half-elves. And in a character creation forge, we're building the dilettante. Well, that's it for episode 108 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we've lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 